Christmas, the day after Christmas in 1925, uh, Christian writer, philosopher, apologist G.K. Chesterton wrote this, quote, people are losing the power to enjoy Christmas through identifying it with enjoyment. When once they lose sight of the old suggestion that it is all about something, they naturally fall into blank pauses of wondering, what's it all about? You cannot suddenly be frivolous unless you believe there is serious reason for being frivolous, end quote. What Chesterton is reminding us of, I think, is that, y'all, there's no genuine enjoyment Uh, No genuine rejoicing. He's going to use the word, there's no frivolity apart from a basis that's grounded in something really serious. And to neglect the the serious part, uh, we we find our enjoyment, you know, a vapor. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Which is why the church uh, for centuries has marked the weeks leading up to Christmas with a season called Advent. I think everyone understands, or if you don't know, you know, Advent means coming. It means preparation. And so the, the Advent season, so to speak, is that season by which we, we prepare our hearts. We, we ponder, we think about, we gain perspective. We reflect on the seriousness of the season. What's, what's underneath all the glitter and, you know, all that we go through in this time of Christmas. In this regard, I, I think it's really accurate and appropriate to say that what Good Friday is to Easter, uh, Advent is to Christmas. Think about this. The, the measure to which we, you know, uh, um, Easter morning, we, we just rejoice and we sing and we, we, we declare the resurrection. The, the, the measure to which we rise in that rejoicing is actually uh, goes back to how, how deeply we understood what it cost. On Good Friday. No Good Friday, that rejoicing has no real meaning. And it's the same with Christmas. So in Advent, the, the degree to which we can spend some time on the seriousness of the Christmas celebration, the, the, the higher to which, and I'll say this, the more real and meaningful our rejoicing, not just on Christmas morning, but throughout the season. So, Advent season for us at Fellowship, we're going to take four songs of Christmas. When I say four songs, we're going to be looking at four texts. And we call them songs because you'll see even on a text today, Isaiah, uh, the, it, it, you don't see it written out in a narrative per se as much as it's written out in stanzas, poetic in, in terms of its structure can, to be sung. And some of the ones we'll look at in the New Testament, in fact, were probably sung. So, Uh, With that, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Isaiah, not chapter 9 that Jeff read, but Isaiah chapter 7, and we will end at chapter 9. So go in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to use 7 and 8 to set our context. This is what we're calling, it's the song of Isaiah, and we we note it as the song of promise. Well, what do you mean it's the song of promise? Well, Isaiah is speaking of the coming of Jesus, and Isaiah is making this God is making this promise through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus comes. You know, think about our country. We're at 200 plus years old. 700 years prior to the coming of Christ, Isaiah 
is making, and God is making this promise through him. And what I want to say to us this morning, yes, uh, this is a biblical theology of Christmas. It's at least the beginnings of. But I believe if we understand what we're going to walk through here in a few moments, we'll see that uh, this is a biblical theology of life, no surprises. So it's not just about navigating the Christmas holidays, biblically grounded, as we like to say here, word-centered. No, it's about navigating life at the center of God's will. If you're at Isaiah 7, I'm going to give you a bit of a historical context. It's 735 B.C., 735 years before Christ. Uh, The nation of Israel has split. And so the nation of Israel is two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, and it's called Israel. There's the southern kingdom. It's called Judah, the northern kingdom, ten tribes, the southern kingdom, the other two tribes. I don't know about you, but I'm ever, I've always been confused by that. Why do they call the northern one Israel and the southern one Judah and the whole thing's Israel? You, know, you get all whacked out. But it's, the, it's Israel and Judah, and this is the, the, the kingdom of God. Now, just stop right there and let's go, well, God never intended them to be divided. Exactly. Something's not right. Exactly. This is a time of great turmoil within and without. Uh, The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, this is civil war. Uh, Their outer borders, the, the, the nations around them are rising in power. And so you think about how they are living. They are living surrounded by those who want to destroy them. You know, nothing new under the sun, so to speak that want to destroy them. And even, even within Israel, there's conflict, turmoil, darkness. Now, God sends Isaiah to the southern kingdom. So Isaiah the prophet is speaking not to Israel, he's speaking to Judah, and Ahaz is king. So God sends Isaiah to the King Ahaz, and Ahaz is in a terrible predicament. Uh, there are these two kings, ones in Israel, that have teamed up, and they want to destroy Judah. They want to come down here and get rid of Ahaz, and they want to put their own king in his place. And at the same time, within the borders outside of Israel, all around, the, the nations, again, I said, are rising in power, and they want to destroy Israel. So God sends Isaiah. We're going to pick up in chapter 7. This context of what life is like in these days. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but follow along in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aaron, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Two kings, two kings coming into Judah to destroy Uh, Ahaz's kingdom and set up their own guy. Go down to verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz. You and your son, Shear Jashub. Now, the the son's name means a remnant will remain. And so there's a lot just in the son's name. We're not going to touch on that this morning. He's going to meet him at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, here's God's promise. Say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrand. 
uh, the, Ahaz, the two kings that you're terrified of that are, that are going to wipe you out, um, they're just smoldering firebrands. I eat, you know, if you've done a fire in your fireplace this year, it's like the fire's out and it's just the remnant glow of what's going to be out and ashes in a few moments. Take care, be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted. They say, let's go up and kill them. I just want you to get verse, they're trying to go down and, and take care, go up to Jerusalem and take care of Ahaz. But verse 7, again, God's promise. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. So Ahaz, when you hear them say they're coming to get you, uh, we're going to destroy you, we're going to dispossess you, we're going to replace you, you're not going to have anything anymore, it will not come to pass. What, what they're saying will not be. It shall not stand. It's not going to happen. Why? Because of my promise to you. Okay? This is the gist of this message. Ahaz had a choice to make. Um, would he trust God's promise or would he figure out his own way? Now, this is, this is binary. Would he trust God or would he look at the enemy and go, I got to figure a way out of this? Which do you think he did? Or which do you know he did based on the story? Don't be shy. Which did he do? Say it out loud, somebody. He chose his own way or he trusted God? You're just blowing me away with the volume of what... It, did he trust God or did he choose his own way? He chose his own way. He chose his own way. It's exactly what he did. He, he said, I, I got to figure this out. And you guys, don't you... I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I go... I get that. I totally get that. I, I got to figure out my own way. And, and he did. And do you know that that guy cut a deal with the most powerful nation state at the time, Assyria? I mean, he, he negotiated a deal with Assyria to be on his team against those two. And now I've got the big guy on my team and these guys, I've, I've secured my future. Um, all is well. Now, we look at, I look at it, you know, and, and, and a historian may look at it and go, brilliant. Uh, that, was, that was humanly, that was human genius that you pulled that off. Unfortunately for Ahaz, you see human ingenuity or, or human genius, let's put it this way, you know, our best wisdom is never a substitute for simple faith in God's promise. The best we can do and figure out, it's just never a substitute for, for simple faith. Just, I believe God. It, it's never, it wasn't 735 years ago for Ahaz. Uh, it wasn't in the days of Christ's birth. And it's not in our day. It's not in our day. To make my own way is never a substitute for simply trusting God. You know, he didn't say to, to Ahaz, um, man, you got, you got trouble here. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to help you out a little bit, but I'd love to see what you're made of. Let me see if you can pull this one out. He didn't say that. What did he say to Ahaz? He said, be calm, don't fear. And I want to show you what kind of God I am. 
This was God's. Let me show you what kind of God I am, not you show me what kind of king you are. Now, I, I really believe this, that all of us are stepping into this Advent season. You know, we've, we've made it through uh, Thanksgiving, and, and some of us, I get this, you know, all, you know, people ask me, how was Thanksgiving? You know, generally it's like, oh, it's great, it's great, it's great. And then, you know, we go home, we recognize, no, we, we survived it. You know, <laughs> you kinda, I got through it, you know. And some of us may do the same with these holidays, but we, we come into these holidays, and I do believe that you are entering the Advent season probably facing two kings who want to destroy you that you were not facing this time last year. I don't know, they probably weren't there, maybe they were, but this year they're there, they're at the border, and those two kings, it certainly could be um, uh, medical, you know, it could be health. Uh, I know some of you are facing something you weren't facing a year ago, and quite frankly, uh, your life is in danger. It's life or death for you. Uh, For some, it's relational. Uh, How do we, we don't live life without the relational tensions that we face, Family, friendship, work relationship, there's just, just trouble out there. It's difficult. For others, the two enemies are financial. There are some here in the room who are facing financial challenges that you weren't facing last year, and quite frankly, you never thought you'd be facing this at this time in your life. For others, it could be emotional, emotional health, just like physical health. It's, you're not winning there. It's difficult. And then if I just kind of bundled up a bunch, we'd say disappointment, loss, injustice, bad things happening to good people, not having a sense, is it ever going to be okay? Is it ever going to be right? See, these two, these two kings are, are, are at the doorstep, and, and you're, you're facing the battle with them. And I don't mean to oversimplify this, but just as Ahaz had a choice you and I always have a choice in, in, in the, the Christian life. You know, I know it's complicated, and I'm, me of all people trying to be black and white because you know how gray I can be, but if you boil it down, it's not the Christian life and the life of faith. At some level, it's going to come down to this. Will I trust God's promise, or will I trust myself? Now, I know there's a lot around this, but I don't know that you could get more irreducible than that. Will I trust God's promise, Or, you know, I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make a way. And why wouldn't it be those two things? Because in the Garden of Eden, it was the simple choice for Adam and Eve. Will I trust what God has said? Or will we choose our own way? And we're born with their DNA. So we do the same. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We're building context for the verses we're familiar with in 9. Chapter 8, we don't read the whole thing. I'll tell you what Isaiah tells us. He tells us that Ahaz chose his own way, okay? In other words, Ahaz says, I'm going to, I'm going to make a decision based on what I see versus what God says. Again, I don't think too much of an oversimplification in the sense that you and I live life today either based on what we see or based on what God says, <laughs> you know? Everything we see is always changing, isn't it? And we come back to this again as a church. What do we say about our first core value, word-centered, for it never changes. We base it on that. So he, he chose on what he saw rather than what God said, and uh, it did not go well. And that's what chapter 8 is about. It cost them dearly. And I think this is a wonderful illustration, if you will, of that Proverbs 14.2. Proverbs 14.2 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way 
of death. I have traveled that road many times. Uh, you know, it seems right to a man, and oh my gosh, that brought me nothing but death. I can so identify with Ahaz, and this is where I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm, I am Ahaz. You remember a few, I guess it's been about a month now, when the Mega Millions hit $1.6 billion? Y'all, can y'all believe that? Um, $1.6 billion for picking those numbers. You know, there is one winner who remains anonymous. Not in this room, clearly. It was in South Carolina. The ticket was sold. But um, I want you to think about Ahaz and think about this is the dilemma that he faced in a sense, and I think it's one we face every day. It, just put yourself in the position of financial difficulties. Uh, I mean real financial difficulties, and I know there's levels of this, but to the degree that you can't pay your mortgage, so you're going to lose your house because you just don't have the income Coming in, or you're facing something, I don't know, lawsuit, blah, 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 you're just going, I'm going to lose. You're, you're facing financial disaster unless, um, you know, you've got a huge infusion of, of, of cash and you need it. And, and just imagine that you get to make a choice, that, that you are given the winning ticket for $1.6 billion, like you can ha you have a problem here's the solution to your problem you can have it or uh, you can trust god in the midst of your problem see when, when it to me i mean honestly when it gets kind of in the in that realm i don't know about you but I, even as one of your pastors i'm not the quick one to go i trust god all the time i don't i often choose the lottery ticket it's there it's real and quite frankly it resolves the problem I mean, 1.6 billion, I don't know, you come away with what, 600 million? Hmm, you know, what, who cares? You come away with that. And now you go, I'm not gonna have financial problems for the rest of my life. Yes, you know, now I can go deal with these other things. Like that. So there's something to that that we grab onto versus, oh, I'm gonna believe God's promise because I tell you, I'll tell you this, if you, if you trust God's promise, his promise, it may not turn out the way you kind of hope it does turn out. And if you're going to trust God's promise, you know, God doesn't promise you $1.6 billion. He, he doesn't promise that. So if you're going to take God's promise, you've got to take it and go, well, what is his promise then? I mean, it's got to be better than this. Well, his promise is himself. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, what's happening in your life right now, I have a purpose and a plan for it. It's for your good and my glory. And if you choose me and understand me and walk with me, you understand death won't even harm you. Forget 1.6 billion. That's nothing compared to death when it hits you and you'll hit you to be separated from me forever. You see, see you're going to choose God's promise or the immediate thing you can see. And I feel for Ahaz because I choose what he chose all the time. I just don't want to leave you with the impression and I hope we never do, Rob nor I, that faith is easy. It's just not. I mean, I don't know. It's not. It's faith. Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of, not, conviction of things not seen. You know, that's not easy. Said another way, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction that God keeps his promises. Period. 
And it's not always easy to trust, which is why we do church. It's why we do small groups. It's why we encourage one another. I know it's tough right now, but let me walk with you to trust God's promise. Well, Assyria, let's, you know, the historical record shows that he cut the deal with Assyria. Assyria, wow, great job. Um, It did deliver him from his problem, got rid of the northern kingdom, quite frankly. Problem is, Assyria came right on down to the southern kingdom and got rid of him too. So, in principle, what Ahaz trusted to deliver him, in fact, destroyed him. See, this is where I'm talking about, this is not just a theology of Christmas. This is a theology of life for you and for me. What Ahaz trusted to deliver him, in fact, destroyed him. Said another way, what they, what they trusted, what they thought would set them free, what did it do? It put him in bondage. Uh, what they thought would satisfy the deepest longing of the heart left them wanting and empty. When we choose Assyria over trusting God, it does just the opposite we think it's going to do. Look at verse 22 of chapter 8. I just want you to see this summary statement. Here's what, what it brought them, what it brought the people of Israel. It says, then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. There you go. That's what we get when we choose Assyria. What what do you mean we get that? Well, what we get is distress and darkness, gloom of anguish. That's what we get when we choose Assyria. You look to the earth. Notice you're not looking to God, and so you're going to look for man's best solution. And again, this is, it's wired in our flesh, meant this way. We face a challenge and immediately, you know, we're, depending on how we're wired, immediately we kind of kick in and trust God or I make my own way. And there's part of us that just always goes, boom, I can make my own way. I can figure this out. I will figure this out. And the solutions that the world offers, which is this, look to the earth, look to what the best solution mankind can offer me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue that when we do you know, tying this into Christmas a bit, those things are wrapped like Christmas gifts. You know, you're not handed a a plate of garbage. You're handed a gift. And it's really bright and it's pretty and it's just fantastic. But what we find is, you know, our three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know, are are bent towards sin. Satan, our great enemy, enemy in the whole world. It conspires and it dupes us. I mean, it absolutely fools us. And we open the gift, you know, I've, I've finally. And when you open the gift, it's not going to do what you thought it would. Getting what I want and all I want, that's what I, I just want to get what I want and all that I want, but getting it apart from God, oh, it just brings darkness. Uh, gaining financial security, I mean, get, figuring it out, how I'm going to hang, hang on to that financial security apart from God, well, that just leads to g- the gloom of anguish. 
Achieving great things. Okay, people think I'm, I finally matter. Achieving it apart from God. Darkness, gloom, and anguish. This is where, this is where the nation is right now. Uh, this is where we always are when we choose apart from God. And now we're ready for the promises of, promise of Isaiah. I won't read the whole thing again for time. We've read it once, but... Here's God's solution to this great darkness. The song of promise, Isaiah 9. But there will be no more gloom. Well, that's back up in verse 32, exactly. For her who was in anguish. That's in 32, exactly. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan... Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, that's verse 22, exactly, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And he continues with those promises. What I want you to understand is 700 years before Jesus is born, Jesus, the solution to the great darkness we have, Isaiah said this would happen 700 years later, it happens. And soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Matthew's recording who, who was Jesus and what did he do. And Matthew, in chapter 4, verses 13 and following, he cites what Isaiah just said and attributes this to the man, Jesus. Matthew says, And leaving Nazareth, Jesus came and settled in Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken of through Isaiah. And he describes this land by way of the sea. And by the way, if you think about northern kingdom, southern kingdom, okay, this, this region up here that he says was dealt with contempt because this is the way, this is the, this is the path of invaders. These invaders keep coming in here to destroy us. And now, literally, Jesus walks that path. The, the path we don't want anyone to come down because they're going to come get us. Jesus walks that geography into Israel. The, the darkness here, please understand, it's not like the dark of night. It's not like you cut off the lights and now it's dark. Do you feel that? No, the darkness is not literal. It's spiritual. The, 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 they were in great darkness. They live in a dark land. What is it describing? It's describing the hearts of all the men and women and children of the land. It's dark. What do you mean it's dark? Well, it's sin-tainted. We're separated from God in darkness. Uh, it's guilt-ridden because we do wrong things and we feel guilty. It's covered in shame because we go from guilt, I did something wrong, to I am wrong. I'm a nothing. It's darkness of hopelessness. Will things ever, you know, think about how they were feeling when Assyria is ravaging them when they thought they were going to deliver them. It's like nothing we do turns out like I wanted to. I was hoping for and I never dreamed of it. I wanted in darkness. So dark. The light came. So understand, not literal, right? But the light is life. The light is Christ, John 1. And the darkness did not comprehend it. You know that 
you know, they, don't, they didn't celebrate the birth of Jesus like, like we do, so to speak, today. Why? Why did they miss it? Why, why did they miss this amazing promise? Well, notice that the promise into the darkness is verse 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. A baby. We got a major problem here. Okay, I'm sending a baby. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now when you read that, we understand the words he uses to, to describe this baby tells us, well, this is no ordinary baby. Because if, if that baby has those names, this baby is God. Now, that, that, that was hard to hold in their head, and, and, and they had great difficulty, even as we would. Well, how can he be God? Because if he's born, then that means he's a human being. This is the incarnation. Incarnate, God in flesh. And we need, see, the solution to our problem, our darkness is sin, okay? And we've sinned against a holy, eternal, infinite God. And so the, the solution to our problem must, this sounds crazy, but it must be God because we've offended God. We, we owe an eternal debt. So we've got to have a, an eternal substitute, so to speak, right? Because he's God. But wait, um, the, the lambs didn't sin against him. The sheep didn't sin against him. We killed him for thousands of years. Human beings sinned against God. So, so the solution must be, it's got to be a human being. We need a human being who is God. Now, we are so quick to go, Jesus. But y'all, think about that. Think about, we need a human being who's God. You see, that's It's impossible. You can see why they struggled with it. In fact, there's a statement in here that I want to touch on just briefly. Notice verse 4. It says, the rod of their oppressor, he, he'll break them and, and break the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. Just a quick aside. Okay, so he's going to do this like at, at, at the battle of Midian. The Midianites were in the book of Judges, Judges 7. They just... They just harassed Israel constantly. It was awful. They couldn't stand the Midianites. And God would raise up judges in those days, right, to deliver them. They were never perfect people at all. He'd raise up judges. And so the Midianites, the way God delivered the people from the Midianites is he chose a farmer, not a warrior, a farmer, uh, who was in the least tribe, the tiniest tribe, the nobody tribe, and who was the youngest in that tribe. In other words, God chose a nobody to save everybody. His name was Gideon. Now translate that now to what we know of this promised child, as in the days of Midian. Y'all, in, 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 the, in the eyes of the world, of course, I mean, Jesus is nothing. His birth is a nothing. He's a nobody. He's in the least tribe. He's from Bethlehem. Do you see, as in the day. So, so in other words, God's solution is not going to make any human sense that's stupid. I mean, that's foolish. That's impossible. Yes, so was God's choosing of Gideon and his deliverance of the people with 
300 against 135,000? The answer to the darkness of life is the child born for us. The God-man. And the peace he secures, I'll say this, and I want us to apply it, is not the peace of, okay, finally our borders are secure. No more battles, no more conflicts, no more civil war. No, that's not the peace he secures. The peace that this child secures for you and I is peace with our God in relationship with him, peace with each other, and ultimately, the peace will be everything as it was intended to be. I mean, we can hardly contain that thought. No more hurt, pain, tears. Everything as it was intended to be. No more evil, no more sin. No more. Everything as it should be. Peace. And it won't ever stop increasing. This is the promise of the child. I want you to close your eyes. We always want to walk away not just knowing this truth, but how what we choose to apply it and live it. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine... Imagine for a moment the two kings you're facing. Just name, just grab it, just name it. What are the two kings you're facing at this Advent season? Uh, you were reminded of it over Thanksgiving maybe, I don't know. But you're, you're facing two kings. You're facing something that's out to destroy you, that's hurtful, harmful. You're facing a difficulty. What is it? Just think about it for a moment and name it. Now, I'd like you to ponder what we've just walked through in these texts, this song of Isaiah. God said to Ahaz, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted. What they intend for evil, he says, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. I don't know the battle you face, but I know we all face great battles. You do have a choice, as I do in this moment. Will I choose God's promise or will I do what I need to do to figure out a way through? So I want to invite you, by the power of the Spirit, to choose right now which you'll trust, God or yourself. And the fact that you can choose, and you can is because God is at work in you. And if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you and enables you to trust Him. So relying upon the Spirit, I want to invite you right now and tell God, do you choose to trust Him, His promise, or make your own way? You know, our desire as a church to live wholeheartedly, 
in Christ, that means we bring everything to our whole heart, mind, emotions, desires, and choices. We've just, I've just taught this lesson. You know, I'm just a talking mouth up here. Precepts, text, definitions. But God has given us something pretty amazing. He's given us the gift of music, song. And uh, Carl and team have put their gifts to work to write a specific song for every passage we study this Advent season. And I want to invite you to sit quietly and listen. You'll see the words up here. Uh, Carl, Chad Cates, Tony Wood wrote this from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. You know, we think of it, Handel's Messiah. Uh, They think of it differently. And as I have sought to convey the truth of this passage to you, May God use music in this song to take the truth of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 and move it past our resistance to it to embed truly in our whole heart. 